This is Apologetics Live. To answer your questions, your host from Striving for Eternity Ministries, Andrew Rappaport. We are live, Apologetics Live, here to answer your most challenging questions about God and the Bible. We can answer any question And I mean any question that you have about God and the Bible. And if you doubt that, we'll just go to ApologeticsLive.com. Join the show to do that. You just click on that little duck icon that's for StreamYard and join us. Give me your most difficult question. Just remember one thing. If I say I don't know, that's a perfectly good answer. So with that, uh, we're going to be, let me bring in the co-host for tonight. None other than Mr. A.M. Brewster. Uh, of course, I put him on right as he's drinking some water. <laughs> I actually did that on purpose. Uh-huh. I was like, I'm going to go through the, like, the, just the, like, the candid. Cool. Yeah. yeah, no. Yeah. You, you were playing ninja all week. That's, that's, you know, you were just trying to be all stealthy, but it didn't quite that's right. work all the time. I did it on purpose. Yes. Oh, so uh, now what we're going to do, we have, this is today will be an open Q&A. So any questions you have, um, we will take them, but I'm going to bring, there's this guy backstage. I should bring him in. Oh, already? Yeah, yeah we're going to bring him in. You know him as Tiny Hands. Here he is, oh, Mr. Brady, Mr. <laughs> Brady so Patterson. They bigger on, on, on screen. Yeah, when they're closer. When, they're closer. <laughs> when I bring him back, it's, it's less intimidating. <laughs> Yeah. So we, we, we spent, and I'm bringing him in early because he's got his own his own live stream to do in about an hour, uh, where they're going to make some announcements about next year's conference. So I guess, I don't know if we should announce it because I already know what some of the announcements are, so, but we should, we should hold off and make those <laughs> next week here. <laughs> Can't steal their thunder. That would be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be like introducing somebody as tiny hands as they come onto a show. I agree. 100%. <laughs> that could be. You may have a point there. <laughs> so, Braden, um, we, we uh, spent the week, both uh, Aaron and I, with you uh, at a conference that you guys did at Open Air Theology. Uh, we've been promoting it here, so regulars, you know about it. It was the Open Air Theology Conference with the topic of why Arminianism. Mm. Wait, was that it? It was why why not Arminianism? <laughs> well, I thought Leighton Flowers thought it was why Arminianism. Yes, Leighton Flowers actually was in attendance and if, to the Why Calvinism Conference, and he actually I I got to give kudos. He was there for most of the time. Um, mm-hmm. He came to dinner with us a couple nights, so that was good. We got some good fun discussions, and I don't think. Brady and I, I mean, I don't think any of us were too mean to him or he actually said he likes hanging out with Calvinists more. I think we were, we were well-behaved. I didn't see anyone like, I saw, actually saw a lot of people walking up and taking a photo with him. Yeah. I, I didn't yeah, see. Listen, I have to say, I have to say, I actually had never, I had never actually heard of the gentleman before this conference. Uh, in fact, uh, the first time he and I had a chance to talk, I was sitting at dinner together and I was just getting this vibe. Everyone was having fun. And I turned to him and said, okay, just help me get to know you a little bit better. 
fill me in here. Finish this sentence. Nobody likes me because <laughs> it was just this. It was this fun, fun thing. But I had never met the guy, and I just have to say, is a sweet man. I, I really enjoyed getting to know him. Very friendly, very kind, very loving, very encouraging in his conversation. So, disagree with him, though we may. Great guy. Yeah, I, th- I think the rest of us at the table at that Aaron thought you knew who he was <laughs> with that question. <laughs> It was a real blessing being able to meet him, though. It was, uh, you know, I, I celebrate being united in the essentials of Christianity. And though there are some very strong convictions and reasons why he would not attend my church, right? Or or likewise, I would attend his. And in that sense, um, it was a real blessing to be able to fellowship along with him and, and have uh, some good conversations, not even regarding soteriology. Uh, that was one thing I really respected. I, I did watch his uh, during the – he did not listen to my sermon. I want him to go back and listen to him. If he sees this, when my sermon goes up, I want him to watch mine. I want him to watch Sam Waldron's and Jeff Rice's, and he needs to watch yours too, Andrew. He he, he missed a little bit of he missed a little bit of the first day as well. Um, Great, and he may have missed yours because that's when I was showing him my uh, predestination. Um, uh, f- sorry, predestination free will uh, card illustration. That may have mm-hmm. been. Why he missed it? I'm, I take I blame myself. Well, it's all your fault. <laughs> no, it was it was really good though. It was it was a real blessing to be able to hang out with him, and uh, yeah, it was it was cool. Only have good things to say about Leighton, not necessarily about his soteriology. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His theology could use a little bit of work, but uh, as I mean, I've always said this: Leighton is a really really nice guy, mm-hmm. and it, it's actually. I, I've said this before. I've said it to him. I've said it privately. <clears throat> you know, you guys heard me say it this past week is, you know, his debate style actually gives him an air that he wins debates when he doesn't. And what I mean by that is he's he just has such a cool, calm demeanor. And this is something good. This is an apologetic show where we teach apologetics. <clears throat> yes, we can even learn from a Leighton Flowers how to do apologetics better. Leighton is just such a a nice guy that when you get people that are having a hard time because they're used to maybe arguing with people on the street or something like that, and they're trying to get a rise, and you don't get a rise out of Leighton. In fact, the more you try to get a rise, the, the less of a rise you're going to get. And what that does, and I've seen him do debates <clears throat> where he debates someone, and they're they're getting upset and angry, and he, he's very calm. He's very sweet about it. And it, it gives the impression that he is winning a debate not based on his content, but on the demeanor. Because there's a lot of people in, that if you, if you don't if you feel that don't do debates or don't watch debates, it, it is a thing where people sometimes are watching the demeanor more than the, listening to the content. You know, I remember watching a debate on theonomy and they had two different topics that they were going to cover. And one of the ways I knew, I said, regardless of listening to any of the content, I knew the guy that was promoting theonomy lost is because when they had the first topic of discussion, they moved to the second topic. That guy was still trying to answer the first question. He used his entire opening still trying to address the first issue, right? That's how you know a guy knows in his own mind he didn't do well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can I get a redo? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I, 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 it was it was it was a real blessing though being able to hang out with him. One of the messages that I thought was really convicting at the conference was uh, Michael Schultz's message on on uh, the love of God and Calvinism. Is that because and, it's uh, Michael Schultz, so it's automatically uh, convicting? <laughs> this is factual. Like he does an amazing job uh, conveying a message uh, that is needed, and I mean. Uh, yeah, I, I do think a lot of provisionists. I do think a lot of um, even on my side of the camp, Calvinists in that in that way, uh, don't do a very good job at displaying humility and love online. Uh, I, I I took my observation from the conference, and I was watching some of the things that were being said, and I was like, man, I think I'm seeing the Christianity culture that w- was raised up play. And I know you guys might not have been in this camp, but was raised up playing Call of Duty, saying your mom joke with no repercussions and now they're Christians and they take that same type of mentality of I can just be obnoxious, loud, uh, arrogant, ignorant, and I can just spout it out and there's no consequences. And what the reality is, as a Christian, there's lots of consequences. The world's watching how you're behaving. Uh, It's not glorifying God. It can be sin oftentimes. And so like I, I do think there's several provisionists that fall into that. And so on the other side, Calvin has fallen into that too. So I just really appreciated the love that was being given towards Leighton and what Leighton was reflecting back towards us. It was, it was a blessing in person. Okay. So Braden, you use some terms. So, f- you know, we are, we're always on this program. We're always trying to teach. We, we don't want to use terms people may not know. You use the term provisionist. So, mm-hmm. so give folks who may not be familiar with that a little bit of a definition and what you mean by that. Yeah, so it's it's a really modern view. I, I would say it's very similar to Arminianism in several cases. It's different. Um, they would not like me to say that it seems to be semi-plagian um, or... Um, Essentially what it is, is it's trying to, uh, I would argue it denies the four points of Calvinism, T-U-L-I, but it holds to perseverance. Uh, So a provisionist would say that you can't lose your salvation from my understanding. And so the idea of it is, is that God didn't decree individuals to be in Christ. Uh, God decreed the outcome for those that would have faith in Christ. So God didn't decree, so the, the, the analogy that I've heard, and I hope I don't misrepresent, is that uh, when you get on a plane, that plane is predetermined to fly to Texas. Um, But it's not predetermined who's going to be on that plane when they start selling the tickets. And so that's what I've heard a provisionist say. So whenever you see predestination in the Bible, it's not talking about individuals being in the body of Christ, but it's, it's predestinating the outcome for those that choose to have faith in Christ. Um, I think that would be a a fair assessment of provisionism. Okay. And now let me just, because there may be some in the audience, like there were some, I think at that conference who were not uh, familiar with their different theological systems. You mentioned an acronym TULIP. So why don't you just give, you know, what that, what each of those letters stand for? Yeah. So T, total depravity, uh, meaning that while you're dead in your sins, you can't generate a faith that would be pleasing to God. You have to be made alive by the spirit, uh, AKA generate, uh, regeneration. Uh, you would have unconditional election, meaning that Christ did not elect or God did not elect you by seeing down the corridors of time and seeing the faith that you'd place in him. And therefore, he elected you, uh, but that he did it purely based off his forelove, his beforehand love for you. Limited atonement that Christ died definitely and assuredly 
for the elect and the elect alone. So it would be a, a, a where I would argue an Arminianist would maybe uh, limit or even a provisionist would limit the power of the atonement. A Calvinist would limit the scope typically. And an irresistible grace, meaning that once uh, once the light bulb has gone off in your heart and your mind, there's no denying that. And perseverance of the saints would be that since Christ bought you by his blood, the same blood keeps you throughout and you'll be convicted of sin, uh, continue to seek to be conformed to the image of Christ uh, and never lose your salvation in that process. Yeah. So let me get to some of the comments. I don't want to pick up on the prevenient grace. Uh, first off, we prayed for Kathy. Uh, she asked for prayer a couple weeks ago. And so she's just saying, hi, thank you all for the prayers. Hope you'll be able, uh, hope to be able to see the whole show. Uh, so she was not doing well last time, if those remember. So uh, Melissa said, I think you guys gave Leighton more fodder for his audience. There is a, um, th- there is a, um, from the Celtic Cup, um, I'm just going to, let's see, I'm going to mute you, Braden, just while you're not talking, because there was a hissing noise from your, your mic. Um, so I think it's probably just because it's a condensing mic, and so it's trying to pick up when you're not speaking. Um, so yeah, we, if you go, we, the, we all got together for breakfast one morning before the conference at the Celtic Cup. Uh, if you go to Dead Man... Place. Yeah, it was. If it was you a, live in that area, go to the Celtic Cup. It, it was, it was a, that you, you now saw why we had to have a theology oh, yeah. throwdown type discussion there because it really was. Bra- Braden drink coffee and I want to just live there. Braden oh, and I man. just went there for coffee last year and just happened to, and we both walked upstairs because there was additional seating and we we're just like, oh yeah, we got to have, have a discussion here. It's like the old ta- old style, uh, you know, meeting room uh, where they'd have mm-hmm. theological discussions. But, but in, in that, if you go to Dead Man Walking uh, YouTube channel, he's got the video up. And yeah, in there, we talk about the fact that we, Leighton is coming to the, to the conference for material <laughs> because we gave him a lot of it. Uh, I do want to point out in that video... Um, Greg set the cameras up really well that the most attractive people in the room were forefront on the video. Brayden, I don't even like, were you ever seen in the video? Like you could hear your voice, but it was so hard oh, to oh, see you the way oh, no. the camera set he, up. It, it must be because look, Melissa said, um, oh wait, no, it wasn't that one. It was here. Melissa said, uh, Brayden's mustache rocked at the conference. It makes it up for his tiny hands. Oh, ouch. <laughs> the encouragement and the jab, I'll mix in the one. Well, yeah. Um, but uh, Doreen says, uh, Leighton was there to give material f- to Jason. That's the guy who was debating James White. It didn't work. Dr. White destroyed him. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that, that was, if you watch the debate, that was, yeah. Uh, in all fairness, though, in all fairness, Leighton likely did does did and does have a lot of material uh, for his podcast oh, and his, yeah. his shows. But... You know, so did all of our guys. I mean, uh, Keith Fosky. I mean, he had his well, interview with Leighton not before Leighton could put anything out. Yeah, but nowhere near. Like, see, you don't know Leighton. You you go watch. He like we weren't well, joking. No, I get it, like hours and hours. Yeah, oh no, like true. like months and months. Brady's shaking his head. Yeah, Melissa says Leighton loves to misrepresent the Calvinistic view. I know, and he always claims he what he was a Calvinist. Uh, Bill says. Andrew, did, did you get a chance to see the Leighton Flowers rebuttal on James White? Um, I did not. Uh, so I'll have to go check that out. 
And then th- this is one Brother John says, provisionist. Um, he said, for the record, Andrew, I look up words you guys use all the time. That is one reason I watch this show. So thank you for that. Um, and what I want to do is cover something that I didn't cover in my message. So my message was on the history of Calvinism. And I had a section in there. I, th- I think, Braden, it might have been you in our, in our group chat that said you wanted to see this one section where I talked about the Calvinism of Arminius. And I think a lot of the guys were like, what in the world are you going to say there? And, and I, I got a lot of that from R.C. Sproul. There was, there was, I mean, and R.C. Sproul makes a good argument, along with some others I found, that basically try to say that Arminius was actually, because I, th- I think a lot of people don't realize that John Calvin and, and Jacob Arminius did not overlap. Arminius was four years old when John Calvin died. So it really was John Calvin's predecessor, or, or successor, I mean, which is Theodore Beza, who was interacting with Jacob Arminius. And Jacob Arminius saw Beza going further than he thought Calvin would and kind of wanted to, in his mind, I think, pull him back. But what ends up happening, as, as usual, is when someone pulls someone back, they start to go and, and double down on things and go too far wrong way. By the way, I am shocked. Hold on. We, we have a shocking thing for regulars here. Everyone's going to be shocked at this one. There's a comment here. And, and let's see what it says. It's not that it says Aaron the Ninja. It's that it says Haps Addison. He actually went in and figured out how to put his name so it doesn't say Facebook user. Congratulations to Haps well Addison. Done, I would like to say that I went on to his computer and just did it for him while he was sleeping, but uh, yeah. So, so I want to deal with though, Braden son that I didn't get a chance to read in, in my notes. And it was really, this is the beauty of the conference you guys did because I skipped this section, but Keith Fosky, who was preaching on the Calvinism Luther didn't skip this section. He actually had something about provenient grace in there. But, you know, R.C. Sproul makes a, a great argument. I mean, you, you look at the words of, of Arminius, and, and he's, he uses language to describe total depravity stronger than Luther, Calvin, Augustine, or Augustine, depending how you want to pronounce it. <clears throat> but I have this in there. I said, um, so there, there's a section in here talking about Provenient grace. And, and R.C. Sproul says this, <clears throat> the term provening, provening grace is, is open to misunderstanding. To prevent in modern usage usually means to, <clears throat> to keep something from happening. This is not how Arminius used the term. The word prevent derives from the Latin vino, which is simply means to come with the prefix Pre means before. Therefore, provening grace does not keep salvation from happening, but necessarily comes before salvation. So this is the the reason I read that is because the way this term is used, that that Brandon's used, I think, and Brandon, I'll, I'll be curious to see what you think about this. 
<clears throat> you did it again. Brayden. Brayden. Oh, I keep doing that. <laughs> I, I've been doing that like ever since I met him. <clears throat> Brayden. I got your back. Man. I should just call him Mr. Patterson and be safe. I should just call him Tiny Hands, and I won't get confused. Oh, no. Look, I've been called a lot of mean things before. As long as you're looking at me when you say it, which is hard on online, I'll, I'll try to respond. <laughs> but you're good. So when we think about, like, why does a guy like Leighton Flowers create a new term, provenient grace? Right now, mm-hmm. there's some history there, right? Because Arminius used it. You used two terms, right? You used Arminianism and semi-Pelagianism. And I, I in, in my message, talked about the fact that there's Calvinists and kind of anti-Calvinists. They're not really Arminian. They're not completely semi-Pelagian. And for folks that don't know, I mean, you had to go, go and listen to the, the message when it comes out that I did, because I go through what Pelagianism is, but Pelagian was a heretic who denied original sin, things like that. Uh, Augustus had confronted him, so destroyed Pelagian's arguments that people that didn't want to hold to what Augustine believed created what was be called semi-Pelagians, kind of half and half. They were in the middle of both. And so what we end up seeing is that most people don't want to say they're semi-Pelagian even today because when we look at what Augustine, Luther, Calvin... John Owens did, they're really, we see the effectiveness of their work in the fact that people don't want to hold to the terms Pelagian, Arminian, semi-Pelagian. They don't want to, so so this is why I think guys like Leighton and others are trying to come up with a new term. And we talked about that at dinner one night where he said, well, being Southern Baptist, they used to be called the traditionalist, but that, that didn't really make sense so much for explaining it so he started using the term provenient grace you know yeah i i think i think that (laughs) plagianism has been (laughs) demonstrated to be a heresy wrong for a long time right and and so i I have heard and i I hope i don't misquote Leighton by any means so if i do i I repent on the front side Uh, if you do you're you're gonna get a whole hour episode (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, so i've i've heard him i've heard that he denies original sin in the common definitions of what original sin is Leighton does yeah, because he, he wouldn't say that man has, has died in such a way with Adam that it keeps him from being able to choose God, that we're still in this neutral state to be able to be prone to go to God or not to God. Yeah, and that's that's really addressing total depravity, right? That the, right. The, 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 and this is what total depravity, how, how you know if someone has a proper definition, that both that are, it's not just our intellect and emotions that were affected by the curse, but it's also the volition, the will. And he would deny that the will is affected by the curse. Right. Which most Calvinists would take that, that doctrine of original sin and say, that, you see, this is the, the tulip is the natural outcome of, or the total depravity in that sense is the natural outcome of what original sin is, that we've all died in Adam and you can only be made alive in Christ, meaning that unless you are made a, born again, like what Jesus says to Nicodemus, you cannot come to Christ. You're still dead with Adam there. Uh, so that, that wouldn't just be intellect, um, but that would also be with the, the will as well. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, there's, 
I do think, and I, I, I do appreciate what one of our sisters on here was saying earlier. I do think, I do think often Leighton does misrepresent, uh, the Calvinist. I think, um, you, you I think, think so? Times. Isn't that something uh, you need to do on both sides though? You can absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's like, if we, if we understood a person's position to the same degree and conviction that they did, we would hold to the same conviction, you know, that they do. Um, I'm not, you know, I, like, for example, I think all of us could explain evolutionist theory, but we're not going to do it nearly as well as somebody who actually believes in evolution. So I just throw that out there. I don't know that Leighton is deliberately trying to misrepresent. It's possible. Um, but I do think it's just it, it is just a necessary thing. I mean, I think, uh, Braden, you did a great job uh, trying to sum up the provisionists and kind of the definition that you did. I think you did a good job. No doubt, though, Leighton or some other provisionist may have found issue with it and could have potentially claimed that we were misrepresenting it by saying it that way. For example, um, you did make the statement that um, that the Arminianist um, uh, thinks that God kind of looks down the, the annals of time and sees who will choose him, and then God chooses them uh, as well. Um, Leighton made an interesting observation uh, to me as I was having a conversation with him. He said that uh, generally Arminius don't actually say that. Uh, it's, it's what Calvinists say they say. That, so this is, what he, this is what he's saying, I, and I don't know. I, I mean, I told him, well, I, I knew a guy who was Arminius, and he he gave me that illustration and to which Leighton replied a lot of times I do that though, because they've heard it from Calvinists. So I really don't know who's right on this particular one. Um, but I'm, I'm willing to hear what he has to say. And again, I'm not throwing you under the bus. I'm just, I'm just putting it out there that I think yeah. we all need to recognize it is super hard to argue thousand percent. position yeah. we disagree with. Yeah. A thousand percent. I, I, and the reason I, the reason I, I, so that, that definition of looking down the corridors of times that that's the one that um, a Molinist would use. And so most, what I have seen in, in these provisionist camps is anyone that's typically talking about provisionism holds to some form of Molinism that God saw all possibilities and he chose this possibility uh, based off of seeing all possibilities. Um, and so that, that, that's the, I, I know exactly what you're saying. I know exactly what you're saying because we don't want to misrepresent. And I'm sure like I, when I was listening to Leighton on his, his live video, he said that, that he noticed that as we were talking about our different eschatological positions or different ecclesiology, anything along those lines, he said that we end up putting Calvinism into it, which I, I would argue that Calvinism is more of the, the branch doctrine for me that like my my core doctrine is here and then calvinism is a result of core doctrine where he was thinking my core doctrine is calvinism and then my eschatological positions and so on are, are the branches that are flowing from that and i i would disagree heavily with that yeah. um i would, I would yeah. say you could go go look at our discussion on the celtic cup where mo much of it was really on dispensationalism and calvinism didn't come up you know, even though we were having lots of disagreement, really what was coming up was our, our ways of interpreting scripture, right? That's what was discovered. So you, you mentioned Molinism for folks that don't know that term. Molinism is a philosophical argument really against Calvinism. Um, I've done a debate on this show many years ago with a guy that actually works for Leighton, but uh, he was a Molinist. The, the view basically is that God in his middle knowledge and his ability to, to, to know all things can know all of the actions we would take and ones we don't take. And in his mind, 
he could see all of these different worlds that could have been based on our free will. That's their whole thing is they got to, they're trying to preserve our free will and argue against what they would say is a view of determinism. And I said this in my talk that this is the big problem is everyone characterizes Calvinism as determinism. There's a big difference there. The majority of Calvinists do not deny that we have a volition. It's just that, that the volition was decreed by God. So, it, you know, they, they, they hear that and they go, cause, no. <laughs> so that, that's back to what Aaron said about the misrepresentation. And so the thing that I find interesting with Molinism, though, Braden, is what, in the debate that I had with it, I asked, can we, in, in, the, in the world that God has now, uh, that he realized, Okay, so it's all these worlds that could have been. Uh, can we do anything outside of the, our free will choice? I mean, once he, God chooses, can we do anything else? And the answer is no. I said, so God determined it. Right? They don't even realize they back into the very thing they're trying to defend against. Yeah. It, there's there's several and there's several logical outcomes theological as well that that are issue with it uh, Romans 8 uh, 29 those whom I uh, I foreknew or uh, beforehand loved I predestined those that I predestined I called those I called I justified those I justified I glorified um, if if God before creation saw all possibilities where he saw all people coming to know him in one one of some of the different types of possibilities well then are all predestined are all called are all justified are all glory no we we have very clear examples in the text where that doesn't happen and so uh, by trying to hold on to man's free will in such a way we have compromised some several texts in the bible and we are lessening the decree of god and they haven't answered the question of the uh, the the question of theodicy which is i i'm thankful being on this program because usually i'm just throwing out terms that people know exactly what they are but theodicy is the issue with uh sin or evil in the presence of a holy God and in the world, how those things play out. But like, so like, and even on, like, that's where, like, I really appreciate, like, I'm a 1689 guy. Of course, I got my 1689 shirt on right now. And so I would say I'm a determinist. I wouldn't say I'm a fatalist. I'm a determinist in light of what God's decree is described in that 1689 and, and of God's uh, providence, which teaches that man is has free will. There's a chapter in it that says that we have free will. Yeah. And so uh, even in the end of the paragraph of chapter three, it says that this doctrine is a high mystery that's supposed to be t- uh, handled with special prudence and care um, to give glory to God and to not misrepresent him. And so the Calvinists would never say that we have the ability to say to God, why did you make me like this? Uh, we can never hold God culpable for the sin we commit because we're, we're accountable for it. I was the one that did it. I was the one that chose it. I was one that that rolled around in it i'm the one that's culpable for it uh but ultimately the molinist is not getting away from this issue either god still predestined these things to come to pass and yeah. the molinist you see what i'm saying they, they yeah. just don't have that answer to it no they don't and 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 i just want to specify and then aaron i know you want to say something so just just so people understand when you say you you made a distinction between a fatalist and a determinist and and you even said that look the the 1689 does speak about free will. This is the issue, is that what non-Calvinists hear is when when a, a Calvinist speaks of decree, they hear human has no will. That's what they're hearing. And so, so when you're having discussions with people of other 
views, you got to understand what they mean by their words, right? So, so for, for example, um, in, in that discussion we had at breakfast, Leighton asked a question of everyone, right? He asked whether, whether uh, regeneration precedes faith. Now, I've had the discussions with him. I know what he means by that. What he means is chronologically, did you get regenerated in time and then sometime after have faith? And, and that's not what we would hold to. So everyone said yes, and I said no. <laughs> now, the difference was I already, from you know, knowingly, and I already knew what he meant by it. Everyone else had a view, uh, being Calvinists, a view of what a Calvinist would mean by it, that logically, not chronologically. Now, there are some Calvinists that do believe chronologically, but I knew what Leighton meant by it, right? And so it was interesting because everyone, everyone but me said yes. And I'm like, well, I, you know, he knew that I would say that they're simultaneous acts, which then is what, what Keith ended up, qual- you know, qualifying, right? Yeah. And, and I, I would hold to somewhat of a chronological view too, just, but it, would be, it wouldn't be like, like a millisecond. Yeah. It's like a light bulb going on, right? Electricity, boom, it's there. Light's coming out. Like there's, there's no, uh, there's like no denying that there's no uh, stopping that there's no cutting and splitting it up. It, it just happens. Yeah. Um, I was going to look up. There's a great quote by CH Spurgeon. I can't find it. It's a great quote where he talks what? about the difference between determinism and fatalism. Well, you you um, look it up and let's Aaron had son. He was going to say, find it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to come in here and uh, not stir the pot, but I know that my comments are probably going to make a, you know, a lot of trouble. Um, <laughs> So, well, so I, people ask me and I basically would tell, generally tell people my, my pat answer is that I am Calvinistic in doctrine. Okay. Um, but that I do hold what appear to the Calvinists to be, uh, to the, to, I would say to the five point Calvinists would, would appear to them to be, um, uh, disagreements or more, um, more theology on the other side. Um, but from my perspective, um, doesn't fall into that category at all. In fact, it's, it's agreement. And, uh, I, I bring this up cause we were having this discussion the last night of the, uh, the, the uh, conference, I, all the speakers, uh, and I was lucky enough to be with the speakers. Um, yeah, thanks, Haps. I appreciate that. No such thing as a four point. He says, you're looking at one buddy. Anyway, um, no, I, uh, we were, we were there at the house and I had the privilege of being there with the guys. And I think Brayden, you were part of this conversation for a while. And it, was, it went until like, we, we, I didn't go to bed until around three, but I think the conversation was going strong until after 2 AM. And, um, Yes, that's right. Good to hear. Brain's not a fatalist. Doesn't sound good to be a fatalist. Um, but so the, the conversation I was having with the guys was interesting in that I don't I, I don't think in any way, shape or form, my position was unique. And along the way, Keith and other guys were trying to uh, name it. We're trying to identify it uh, according to other beliefs. But the position that I bring forward uh, is one of uh, of the fact that we know that even Calvinist agrees uh, that man is culpable. Braden just said that we are responsible. And I think the Arminian and the provisionists, they struggle. In fact, I heard Leighton say this a lot. Leighton, I think the Arminian struggles too much with the emotional side of things, right? They don't like how it feels mm-hmm. that God might work, interact with us in a certain way. And I struggle with, I, I struggle with that, not, not with how it feels, but anyone who is going to approach theology and the scriptures by how it makes them feel, it's like, you're already coming at it from a very dangerous perspective. Um, 
But I will still say, though, that in the scriptures, um, when you're arguing, I don't like to say logically, right? Because, you know, sometimes things can be argued logically that are not biblically accurate. But when you're arguing theologically, okay, biblical logic, um, I see that we have we have descriptions of man's will, his requirement to choose and, and the consequences of his choosing and so on and so forth. But we also see the election, foreknowledge, predestination of God. I see the election, predestination, foreknowledge of God identically to the way that the, uh, the, the, the Calvinists would. Um, but I also see that God, our God is so amazing, so miraculous um, that the his election and free will can perfectly coexist with uh, man's choice. And this is, and I know where the, I know where the questions go here. And I know how people so frequently misunderstand what I'm saying. And I don't necessarily want to open up a debate, but I am throwing this out there and I'm throwing this out there for, for a particular reason. One, so that everyone knows the position from which I'm coming from in this conversation. Uh, but two, because I hold the position that I do. And I think we all in certain uh, way, shape or form, hold the positions we do because we look at the scriptures and we see how awesome God is. And then we want to tell people how awesome he is. That's basic evangelism. That's discipleship. But it's also these discussions about these passion, uh, passionate doctrines that we have. Um, and when I look at the scriptures and I see how, I, I mean, use the word paradoxical God is. Greg Moore, who was in the chat earlier, who's not feeling too good tonight, uh, said he wished he could be with us. But Greg pushed back a little bit, said that God is not paradoxical. Um, what I mean by that is that from a human perspective, within the the context of creation god is a paradox there is nothing in creation that that can be what god is um so from a paradoxical perspective god does things and is things that we can't be and can't do so all of that to say i think he is absolutely amazing and fantastic that his that, that predestination and man's choice uh, are are a work 100 percent together um in such a way that is not that from my perspective, actually, in a way, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to make everybody happy. I don't care if you got a bad doctrine. If you got a bad doctrine, you know, go, go cry yourself to sleep. I, I'm not trying to make you happy, but I think on this particular point, what it does is that it uh, it takes the realities that we see in Scripture on both extremes and it marries them into a way that we're not fighting about that anymore. It, Yes, man has free will, and yes, God sovereignly predestinates. And if you go, well, that doesn't make logical sense. Well, we're not talking about the same God at that point. My personal yeah. thoughts don't at me. There you go. Well, I think I'll, I'll comment with one part of it. Yeah, and I'm, there's Tom again saying that's synergism. It's not synergism. It's different. Yeah. Synergism's different. <laughs> um, and so, so, and we could, I could address that as well too. But, but, you know, one of the and, and this is what I really loved about this conference. I said it leading up to it, Braden. You know this. The, the, these kind of theological discussions that were going on every night after the conference over dinner, you know, at the house or like at the conference itself, where it's a, it really is a free environment to disagree. I, that's the thing that I really appreciate about the open air theology conference. Greg Moore, you know, he's, he's a Baptist wannabe, um, I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> he, he's Presbyterian. He'll, he'll be Baptist one day. He's the only uh, Presbyterian there. You know, he held his ground pretty well. Well, no, no. There was the, 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 uh, oh, the doctor who, who did the pre-conference. Uh, I forget his name now. Sam Frost. <clears throat> Sam Frost. He, he was Dr. Presbyterian. Frost, yeah, and I bet there were a lot more. We just didn't know it. I mean, 
we we had i was the token dispensationalist last year kevin hay was just hiding out uh, you know ninja dispensationalist. yeah and then you came and it was like oh now there's three so i was joking with kevin hay today i said we're, we're growing <laughs> at least as the conference grew yeah as, as the conference grew so did the number of dispensationalists proportionally grow uh, you know so three out of 150 people <laughs> But, you know, I said in my message something, Aaron, that really what you're hitting on is there is a sense of people experiencing that they chose God. And then they read the Bible and theologically God chose them. And some people struggle with that because this is what I experienced and they stick to that. And I think that's where the struggle is. Yeah, I think I think there's there and I, I'll, I'll give it there. I don't think a provisionist or anybody that's a brother or sister in Christ. I don't think anybody's sitting there saying, man, I'm going to I'm going to lessen God today. Like that's not their their goal. I do think that they are trying to attempt to defend something that doesn't need to be defended. Mm -hmm. I think I think it, it, it does not make God a monster to say that he decreed all things or that he he's predestined all things. That doesn't make God a monster. And you don't need to take your feelings and try to defend God. Uh, the word is spoken. I, in fact, right now I'm preaching at our church through the book of Job. And one thing I, I really am loving about the book of Job is here you have a suffering saint Job, who's at the beginning of the book, said that he's fearless or that he uh, fears Yahweh. He's blameless, upright. Uh, no one can charge against him, right? And then here he's suffering. Here he has these three friends just hurling abuses at him, saying, "You sowed wickedness. That's why your sons and daughters died. Uh, God wouldn't do this to you if if it if it wasn't this karma type of uh, God we have." And the whole point that Job is doing the entire time throughout his message, and he fails, he messes up here and there, but he he is he's always quick to say God has the right to do with me whatever he pleases. Um, he, he, uh, who am I to say what he should or should not do? And that's where like, uh, in the beginning of the book, he says, Yahweh gives, Yahweh takes, the Lord gives, the Lord takes, blessed be the name of Yahweh, blessed be the name of the Lord. And it says that he never sinned when he said that. And so that's the theme, that's the that's the barriers that you got to read the whole book of Job with. And I, I've, I've been greatly blessed uh, studying it. And I think it's one of those things when it comes to uh, this difficult high mystery doctrine that that brings a lot of emotions and I'm a firefighter I can bring in those emotions and talk about x y or z things that I've seen how good God no you need to set these emotions to the side and then good come point. into the room see the, the cards where they're laying and say amen this is yeah. God uh, the, and I mean that a provisionist could say the same thing towards me and I hope that they would because that means that they're passionate and convicted about what they're believing yeah. um, but I, I don't think they're giving I don't think they're giving a reasonable answer to theodicy like they think they do I think they're just adding more words to the conversation that are trying to protect something that doesn't need to be protected yeah and and the, I think the thing that they're trying to protect is God's character now I know I, I know you got to get going so we I, because you got your own show to get over and, and make sure you're is set up um, so uh, first of all I want to thank you for coming in uh, I got I do see a comment here that I'll have to before you go uh, you know it'll be a good way for you to re go into your your show with um, but but uh, so, but before we do, I do have a little bit of an announcement. We have a new sponsor. So this is the first time that we're announcing this sponsor. Uh, and, and 
I would say that uh, it, it was actually in the works prior to going to the conference, but each of you guys got to enjoy some of this at the conference, and I got a bag of this right here, but it is Squirrely Joe's Coffee. Now, I don't know if you guys see the, this here. Is it backwards? I don't know. Aaron said he thought it's backwards, so we'll let the folks watching live see. No. Yeah. Squirrely Joe's Coffee, though. Oh, my goodness. They had that at the conference. It was delicious. This is my bag of, and this is what, what I'm expecting from you, Braden, some respect. I, I love I the name of each of the, the bags. I got a bag of respect. So the respect is a milk chocolate almond dried fruit and red apple. So uh, I'm looking forward to that one. This is a Brazilian one. And so what they've worked out for Squirrely Joe's Coffee is you just go to strivingforeternity.org slash coffee. That will bring you over there. And there's also a way to get 20% off on your first time purchase. You use the promo code SFE. It stands for Striving for Eternity. And you can get it there. Now, I'm going to just tell you, I, you may want to get the, the value packet, one of each, to figure out which one you like. Because they, they all have different names. And I was, I was joking with Joe, the owner of, of Squirrely Joe's Coffee, because I, the names are funny. Because at the conference, I picked up the bag of respect. Um, and, and someone else, or actually, no, sorry. I picked up the bag of integrity and someone else gave me respect. So the, somebody else gave you respect. Yeah. So, so integrity was the cashews, uh, honey molasses, and milk chocolate. So, each, so here's the names of their coffee. This is, this is just so funny. You have compassion, wisdom, honor, integrity, kindness, respect, responsibility and honesty. <laughs> so, so you got to figure out what you're in the mood for that day. I, I'm in the mood for a little bit respect today. Or I need some integrity today. <laughs> hey, hey. I'm going to give Squirrely Joe's the highest praise that Aaron Brewster can give to Squirrely Joe's. I don't drink coffee, but if I did, I'm sure I'd love it. Well, and this is different. So for folks to realize, this is not, <laughs> this is not squirrel chatter. For those that are familiar with this, with the Christian podcast community, we have Gene Client who calls himself squirrel on squirrel chatter. So, so this is, this is going to make him feel bad. Hey, Gene, Squirrely Joe's coffee. They actually are a sponsor now. Cause he, oh, he loves their coffee and he, he's always like it's saying, so he's always promoting it, but he's going, I'm not, they, they don't sponsor here. Hey, <laughs> now they do. Hey so. squirrel. I'm going to let you guys go. They do here. So, so, so with that, we, we got one comment we got to put up here because, okay. because you're going to go to your other show with haps. And I think you need to bring this up with haps because, you know, I'm struggling with your, you know, I always struggle with pronouncing your name and he has a name for you. He says, we should call you small paws. You should you, you, you should bring that up in <laughs> your uh, the last time you're gonna see these small paws, okay? I'm sure it's not. <laughs> hey, it's hey. A real I, I dearly love you guys, and I'm I'm thankful for the conversations that we had. I, I it's a great blessing to call you guys my brothers in Christ, and I, I sincerely mean that. Yeah, well, so. thank you for coming on, but thanks for the conference. When you go over to the Open Air Theology for folks that want to watch that that stream or watch that later uh, yeah. on YouTube, Open Air Theology is what to look for on YouTube, and yeah. they're going to make some announcements about next year's conference. You'll hear that there first. I won't say it here, but uh, <laughs> but I do want to thank you guys for putting the conference on because it is a Amen. wonderful conference. 
It was so good. People need to come there next year. If you missed it this year, uh, I will try my best to forgive you, but you need to come next year. So yeah, go check out Open Air Theology. My YouTube channel is Reformed Ex-Mormon. It'd be a blessing to have people to go check that out too. Um, but yeah, it's it's such a blessing to be doing ministry along with you guys and, and to just glorify God. Wait, you're an ex-Mormon? I didn't know that. You gotta let the man go. Let him bring it back to talk about it later. I'll come back and talk about yeah. it again. Uh, see, la- not the last time that you saw these small paws. <laughs> okay. So hey, God bless you guys. Thanks, man. So uh, we're. It was, but yeah. You want to say something? I was going to say it was a great conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. No, it is a great conference, and I and I just want to. Th- now that he's gone. Um, oh, now you're going to say things wanna, while he's gone. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, I know I am. I am. I am because uh, and some of the guys are still in the chat, so they'll see this and obviously he'll hear about it. But uh, one of the things I wanted to say about this conference was because uh, I actually wasn't able to see a lot of the the sermons. Uh, this was very last minute for me. I was very thankful to be able, be able to go, but I still had to do uh, all my work while I was there. So it was, it was kind of unfortunate. However, uh, spending time with these guys, after the sessions, uh, through the night, so on and so forth, was so fantastic. And God gave me an amazing gift. Um, my current friend group is such that it really is a good reflection of the body of Christ. So many of the people that I hang out with that I love dearly, that I would die for, that that practically live in my home sometimes, these people are very unlike me um, in our interests and, and desires and ages and, and experiences and so on and so forth. And I think that's beautiful. And I think it, again, is a kind of a, a cross section of the, of the, uh, of the body of Christ. But I met so many guys at this conference that just, I resonated with on such a, a, a way that I have not in a long time, like guys who, um, not from a secular perspective, but more of just from a, a basic uh, we get each other. We have shared life experiences. We like the same things stuff like that. I just really love these guys. Um, it, I, I spent a few days with them, less than a week with them. Um, and I really, really felt loved uh, by these guys. Uh, I, I think I, we started some friendships that will last for a long time. Braden was one of those guys. I actually met um, my, my twin separated from birth. Um, he and I are the same age. And we have so many of the same passions and loves and desires. And, and Andrew called it. Andrew knew that when he and I met, we would just be fast friends. And we were Keith Fosky. Uh, and I, man, I, I, dude, I love that guy. And I was just, it was such a sweet fellowship. So I'll just say really from a, yeah, go to the conference for sure. Um, no doubt um, it'll be uh, uplifting and encouraging to your soul. And that's why you go. But on a very interesting perspective for me, the relationships that I was able to build with these guys uh, was just so wonderful. I mean, it almost to the point of bringing me to tears because those types of relationships I haven't had in a long time uh, in my life. And it's like, like a whole bunch of them were right there in one spot. And it was overwhelming. It was so great. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. I mean, I've told people that that conference is designed for the fellowship. I love the way he organizes it. Um, so let, let me get through some of the comments that I see back, and then we got someone that wants to come in and ask a question. So uh, D says that Keith Foskey had an interview with Leighton. Keith could barely get a word in. Actually, no, there's two two things with that. Yes, Leighton loves to, to, to talk a lot, but he was being interviewed. Okay, so first off, when you're doing an interview, a good interviewer is not doing all the talking. He's letting the guest, because that's what the guest is there for. But another thing with Keith, and I'll encourage you, you could go check out that video that um, Dead Man Walking dropped, Greg had put on, from the Celtic Cup, because you'll see Keith. 
I mean, okay, granted, Keith is sitting on his phone, like, you know, tweeting or, or whatever, whatever you call X thing, you know, but that doesn't sound right, you know, no, but, right. but, uh, but he, you know, but he is a genuinely nice guy who will always let everyone else speak before him. And so I don't think it was so much that Leighton wouldn't let Keith get a word. And I, I think Keith was going to give the time to Leighton and, and give preference to Leighton. And that's within Keith's nature. So D says, um, <clears throat> most people think that John Calvin made up the five points of Calvinism. D, you're going to really want to go and listen to my message because that was the whole purpose of the message, um, was the fact that you know, the five points of Calvinism were not... The, the, the five points of Calvinism are a response to the five points of the remonstrance. They were actually remonstrance and counter-remonstrance. And the remonstrance were the followers of Jacob Arminius, but those weren't developed until like nine years after he was dead. So, so neither Calvin nor Arminius would have held to the five points of either system because it didn't exist yet. So little historical note. Uh, Greg, who I think you mentioned this comment earlier, but Greg Moore, who is from Dead Man Walking, if you don't know Greg, you know, he, he's a guy you got to get to know. He's just, he's like the life of the party, um, a, a great MC. He was great to MC it. He's got a great podcast. I, I always love when his, the interviews with him, I think he dropped the interview he had with uh, James White, myself, and uh, I, think, I think it was Jeremiah was on with us. And so uh, go check that out. Um, but, uh, he says, Hey fellas, wish I could be with you, uh, feeling a bit under the weather. And so I had told some of the guys if they wanted to, they could, they could come on tonight and talk about the, the conference. So, um, this is a, Melissa says, I don't understand how Leighton could misrepresent Calvinism while claiming he used to be one. That's really the whole thing is that we, we just, it, it's, it's the easiest way to do it. Yeah. So it's, it's very hard for people. So when I do debates, um, I want to understand my opponent's position so well that I can make their arguments for them. When I wrote the book, What Do They Believe? I took the chapters to authorities in each of the religions to see if I'm accurate to what they actually believe. But the majority of people don't do things like that. And that's the thing. It is easy to misrepresent. And I think another part of it is you see a lot of people that say, oh, I, I grew up Calvinistic. I grew up dispensational. I grew up Presbyterian. And as if that means they know everything about it. Huh? Well, fundamentalist. I heard that a lot yeah. this last week, too. I grew yeah. up fundamentalist. Yeah. And, and so one of the things I said is I grew up Jewish, but that didn't make me an expert on Judaism. What made me an expert on Judaism is, is studying the Talmud. I did that after I was saved. So people think that just because they grow up something that they had a full understanding of it. it that's not the case. If, if, and my, my thing, and I've said this to Leighton is so many people tell him he's misrepresenting the position and building a straw man argument. Why doesn't he change the position? He believes this is a legitimate argument for the way we, we believe but so many people say no. And so if someone tells me that I'm misrepresenting their position, I want to take a step back and go, wait, okay, what is it? Make sure I want to make sure I'm clear. And that's something we should do as, yeah. as good, um, you know, apologists, just as good debaters, yeah. good people. 
the same thing happens. Um, and please understand, everyone, listen to what I'm saying. I am not comparing Leighton Flowers to a, a deconstructionist. Okay, I'm not saying what? that he's not born again or anything like that. But I am going to use the example of a deconstructionist because they all say the exact same things. They all say, I once was a Christian, but now I'm not. Right. That's their argument, which if they even remotely understood anything that the Bible has to say about Christianity and salvation, they would recognize that you can't claim that. You'd have to say, I never was. I thought I was a Christian, but I never was. Correct. They don't say that. I used to be a Christian and now I'm not. So they grew up in a church. They heard about it. They made a profession of faith. They knew whatever it is they knew. And now they're misrepresenting it. Why? Um, Because they never truly understood it. And one could argue um, that uh, Leighton as well, you know, he was once a Calvinist, but he turned from it. Why did he turn from it? Because he didn't believe it anymore. Um, and was that because he didn't truly understand it? Or was it due to something else? It's going to be hard to say, but I see that happen all of the time. When people generally turn away from something that they say they had a hard, fast belief in for most of their lives, um, oftentimes it's due to the fact that they really didn't fully get it and buy into it. Uh, and that's what precipitated the, the change. Yeah. Uh, so D, D is saying um, that she, she said, I understand it was an interview, but Keith tried to clarify something and it was difficult. I, I know. And that's why I said, you have to know Keith's nature. So, you know, he's going to defer well, I, to I, others. I did an interview with Keith too. Deneen, watch it and see if he has just as much hard time with me. Cause he probably, he probably did. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Let's see, I'm just trying to get these now in order. Mr. Tracy says, God doesn't have to look through the tunnels of time. All is is in his present. And that's one of the points that I made in in the uh, my, my message there as well. I talked about that. Kevin and Brayden and I got off on a tangent and we were talking about the theology of time and how it works and so on and so forth. And it was, it was a great conversation. Very interesting. Not a lot of agreement on it, but yeah, it was. Yeah. I I had to miss that because one of us had to get up at like, Oh, dark 30 to drive to the airport. And, uh, yeah, you missed that one. It was yeah. So you guys were up to like three in the morning. I think, I think you were coming in the room to go to sleep and I was just getting ready to wake up, <laughs> which by the way, I never heard you leave the room. So I, I was obviously exhausted, but well done. You ninja it pretty yeah. well. That's, that's too bad. Cause I was trying to make as much, much noise as I could. Um, D said, man is free to choose according to his nature. Okay. So, so let me address this because I think it was John. Let me think if this is the one John says, no, there's a later one coming. John said, yes, fat- fatalist determine determinants, distinction is very important so the, making the distinction between a, a fatalist and a determinist good thing i have no idea uh what that is so i don't have to make it <laughs> um keeps you from having to make the distinction when yeah you don't know what it is it's yeah good. there you go but uh this one was about the molinists uh, molinists seem to have a low view of god being bound by human construction of time we try to explain things according to time that God above being the Alpha and Omega. I, Jason, I'd say this, and by the way, Jason is a, is a supporter of ours. That's why he has that cool uh, little logo there uh, next to it on the right of his name. Uh, he supports us on, on YouTube. But uh, what really what it is is they, have a, a very, they do have a low view of God because they have a high view of man's free will. So they, they actually... It's not so much that they 
I think, although in a sense, I get what you're saying. They're binding God to man's construction of time, to human construction of time. But really, I think they bind them to humans' free will because their whole thing is man's free choice. That's the sovereign thing. And, and God just looks at all the different choices we're going to make. And, and then he chose a world that would give him the greatest glory based on our choices. So he didn't want to touch our choices. He wants to, it's a way of trying to explain this, this dilemma at, or as some say, paradox, we're going to get into questions about that, um, about who chose who, did we choose God? Did he choose us? There's the, that's the dilemma. And there's a lot of people that have different ways to try to explain that. I'm going to later on, as we get through more of these questions, try to explain a view that I hold to that I think explains it. But, um, don't we all? Yeah, well, we'll see how, how mine works. John says it's paradoxical. Uh, it's uh, objective and that describes a paradox. Something with two meanings that don't make sense together. And, and, and I would say don't make sense from a human perspective. Correct. And that's the key there. I, I use the example of the Trinity. There is no human being who can fully conceptualize of the Trinity. In fact, all of our attempts to do so um, land in heresy land on some <laughs> physical picture that we're like, oh, this, like the egg, water, whatever. All of those actually inject some sort of heresy into it because none of the physical concepts that we can point to have any way of truly doing justice to the Trinity. So within a, a human construct, within within creation, the Trinity is a paradox. It doesn't make sense. I'll use that word. Some people would argue it's not logical that the Holy Spirit can be fully God and the, the Jesus Christ is fully God and God the Father is fully God, but they're, they're separate yet one. I mean, all of that makes, it makes it really doesn't make sense. And I think anybody, any, even any Christian who argues, oh, the Trinity makes perfect sense. It does simply because God says it does, but we can't comprehend of it. And that's really, I'd like to use the word paradox from a creation perspective. Obviously, to God, the Trinity is reality. It is his existence. So it's not at all paradoxical for him. And by God's grace, maybe one day in the future, some point in eternity, it'll start to um, be something that we can grasp better. Yeah. Um, so let me get to some of these. So, you know, the whole idea of synergism Um yeah, Brother John is saying, I think he means synergism here, synergism, interaction, or cooperation of two or more organizations, substances, or other agents to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of them. So, so for folks that didn't know what the synergism is, it's there's two views, monergism, synergism. Monergism is that God does all the saving. Synergism is that man has done something to work with God. Roman Catholicism, clearly synergistic. It's faith plus works. Every man-made religion is synergistic because it's always God does something, but we do, we have to do the rest. Um, yeah. And I would just say to that, because, you know, I, I, I had said my piece and then somebody in the comments had thrown out the word synergism. Um, and I said, it's not synergism. Um, the idea, and this is where I try really hard to view salvation and this particular topic the same way I view the Trinity. I don't need to fully understand it. And synergism gets in trouble because it sees God and man working together. Like God does his part, we do our part. Okay. I'm going to suggest something. It's going to sound completely insane. But then when I compare it to the Trinity, it'll all make perfect sense. If God 100% is responsible for man's salvation, all the Calvinists go, yes. 
if I say man is 100% responsible to choose to follow after God, all the Arminians in particular really like that one. Is it possible that both of those realities can exist? Well, not in our human framework, not in our ability to understand. However, you take those words out, free will and predestination, and you and you put them in with the Holy Spirit and, and the Son and the Father, 100% God, 100% God, 100% God, all of that. We're like, we've, we've accepted this. We're okay with this. So I am not in any way, shape, or form saying uh, in a synergistic view that, that God does his 50% and we do our 50%. That's synergism. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I am suggesting that both realities exist in totality as unfolded in Scripture without any type of contradiction, but also without any ability for us as humans to rationalize it and reconcile it. That's my argument. Mm-hmm. So, no, it can't really be compared with synergism to very different things. Yeah, and I'm going to get into, by the way, uh, Tom, who we, we spent a, quite a bit of time with, Tom Shepard says, my bro, Aaron, is a deep thinker. We had great conversations. So there you go. And and I should have put, this, this came, Mr. Tracy put this in uh, as Aaron, as uh, Braden was leaving. Instead of tiny paws, he was calling them hammer fists. So, you know, maybe maybe that's what Braden should refer to himself as hammer fists. So um, we got oh, one more. <clears throat> yeah. Rap album. <laughs> we got one more question uh dealing with uh the topic of calvinism and then we got someone backstage and i'm going to get to more of the questions that we have so so a facebook user says question is this accurate representation of calvinism you are born unable to respond or want god or his son or the holy spirit scripture or the scripture yeah it should be an or unless God wants you to, then he will cause you to repent and believe. So let me give a little bit of a thing with this uh, to whoever the Facebook user is. Let me, let me put it this way. Did, did Paul have an ability in and of himself to write the book of Romans that we call inspired by God? And when you think about that and think about the question, because when we think of this, you know, I believe, whoever you are, because we don't have a name, but, and you can go to apologeticslive.com. That's not only how you can join the discussion, but it's also how you can show your name. But with that, the thing I want you to see is that Paul has a very different style than Peter, than Moses, than John. You can see that. And so... Um, the thing that we see is that God had to work through the human authors to write scripture, but we don't call it Paul's words or Peter's words. We call it God's word. So this is a doctrine. A lot of people don't understand. It's a doctrine known as superintending. We use it when it comes to the the inspiration of scripture, how we got the the word of God. And it's that God works through the human authors such that the choices and words that they, they chose to do are exactly as God intended them to be. You see their personalities coming out in the question, in their writings. And yet those are things that um, we end up realizing uh, this is how God intended it to be. Okay. Same thing with sanctification. I mean, when it comes to sanctification, do we do good works? 
yeah, but no, right? I mean, we choose to do good works, but the scriptures say that God did that. And so when we look at it, we have to realize that that's something where we can't take credit for the good works we do because we, we would never do good works apart from God working in and through us. Now, because we're such creatures bound by time, we think as if like there has to be this, you know, event in time that causes something else. And yet that's not what we see with the scriptures. God worked through the human authors so that what they wrote was God's word. Same with our good works. I would say same with regeneration. So I think that's why I say experientially I chose God, but theologically God chose me. But there's no way I could choose God apart from him doing something. So I guess what I'm trying to say is the question, it's not precise enough. And that's the thing. And it's hard for us to fully understand this. We want it to be one or the other. We want it to be either I chose or God chose, but because we, we can't comprehend how God could work through us. But yeah, we don't have that problem when it comes to the doctrine of inspiration or the doctrine of sanctification. It's only in the doctrine of justification, right? So well, is I it... I would say too that that illustration that you just used is one that I, I do like to point to when I'm talking about that, that again, that cooperation. Um, because the person who who says that um, God inspired his word through the apostle Paul would never go so far as to say that God dictated his word. In fact, I mean, a right view of inspiration absolutely throws that out. So Paul, as you said earlier, Paul, James, Peter, all these guys had different, different voices, their, their, their personalities, their experiences, whatever else were, 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 were being used by God to communicate his perfect inspired word. And that's, I think, is a little bit of a picture of how, at least from my estimation, I know this isn't what you were saying, but from my estimation too, um, how those two concepts work together. No, uh, Paul could not have written the book of Romans had God not inspired him. And yet Paul had a very specific, unique task that if Paul had not written the book of Romans, God would have used somebody else to write it. Um, but that because Paul wrote it, because he, you know, he submitted to God's will, whether he knew God was going to inspire it or not, is beside the point. He wrote that letter to Romans and God used it, inspired it the way it did. Yeah. So, so that's all the questions that we had on Calvinism. So let me, let me bring uh, Melissa in here because she had a question here out of Psalms. So, Melissa, welcome. Hi, thanks. I'm Bond Servant for Jesus, in case people don't know. And, yeah, I'm real name Melissa Cantrola. And I was hey, going through... Hi. I was going through the, uh, the Psalms, and I came across uh, 18, uh, two where it says, uh, the Lord is my horn. And I have wondered in the past, like, what does this mean? Like, why does it use the word horn? Well, at least in the ESV translation. And I was curious about that. What does the horn represent yeah. in the context? Okay, so Psalm 18. Uh, first off, David, it's described as a psalm of, of David, the servant of the yeah. Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hands of all his enemies and in from the hand of Saul. And he said, and this is what the verse one says and two say, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield 
and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. So the word horn here, so it's combined with the word shield, first off, but the idea of the horn, a horn was something that was the sign in battle of, of strength, of might, of power, dignity. Uh, and so the idea of this is it's not just a horn that's blown, but it has the imagery in, in battle to be the, the person who's going to blow the horn to, and that's the person who's going to give the calls because remember they, they didn't have amplification back then. So how are they going to, how are they going to let everyone know to retreat or move forward or different things? They would have certain sounds from the horn that the person blowing the horn would, would do. And that's so that everyone could hear and know what to do. That's a way of communicating back then during on a battlefield. And so the, tying it to the shield and and the horn what you end up with is the idea that a shield is is a defense and the horn is is something of power is the idea of power so he's saying that god is not only the protector of our salvation but he's also the strength of it mm-hmm. yeah the horn um if you look up that word in the Hebrew and you look at the other uses in the scriptures, sometimes it just literally refers to the horns that happen to be on an animal's head. Um, when um, when Abraham went out to uh, sacrifice Isaac and they found the ram, he was stuck in the thicket by his horns. That same word shows up. Um, it's definitely a very poetic, it's figurative language here. And uh, if you look, if you study all, uh, older cultures, ancient cultures, not just um, in the, the Middle East, but other cultures as well, oftentimes the leaders, the ones who were in a position of authority, the ones who, and, and the authority was synonymous with strength, uh, the power, uh, they actually had horns from animals uh, as part of their their outfits, as part of their adornment. In fact, uh, this actually came over a little bit into uh, English uh, history, in European history, closer to where we are now, um, in the way that crowns and various types of hats and other headwear um, was constructed to be wide, and, and the you know the bigger the hat was, the more it communicated of you. So that's really a lot of what's going on here. The same word is also used in Lamentations two. Uh, verse three and supports everything that uh, Andrew just said. Uh, Lamentations two, three says in hot anger, he referring to God has cut in pieces, all the strength of Israel. Well, you read that in the Hebrew, what you read is has cut in pieces, all the horn of Israel. But uh, thankfully our English translator understood what was being communicated in this passage. So who is the, the power of our salvation? Who is the authority of our salvation? God himself. Yeah. So, Melissa, I know you, you also like to always plug your show, so I'll, I'll give you a chance to do that. Well, I, just, <laughs> I didn't want to just come on just to plug it, but yeah, it's uh, truthbetoldradio.com. Oh, well, that's the website. But the show is called Truth Be Told Radio. It's on Sundays, 2 to 4 p.m. But it also gets uh, archived afterwards, so you can just listen to it whenever you want. Um, yeah, this is actually a very good lesson. Thank you for explaining all that. You gave good uh, answer to me. Thank you. Good. Thank well, you for thanks, thanks for coming on. There, there, there's a question here, Aaron, I want to get to. I know there were some others that came before, but with your expertise, uh, I want to bring this one up uh, from One Eternal Perspective. And by the way, you see that One Eternal Perspective is another uh, supporter of ours. That's why they have that little logo on the right of their name. So they support us at uh, 
through the YouTube channel. So that's a way, another way of support if you want to do that. But the, the question is this, uh, wondering if anyone has any suggestions in helping a woman believer at my church with paranoid delusions that seem to be getting worse. She has been under psychiatric care, but unclear if on meds. And the reason I'm, I'm saying your expertise for, for people that don't know you, you are a speaker at Striving Fraternity, but you have your own ministry and a big part of your ministry is biblical counseling. You're an a- ACBC counselor. And so I figured this one may take more. And you know, if, if the person who is, is asked that question, if you want to come in and, and you know, may, that may end up helping for Aaron to be able to give you better counsel just to talk it through. But based just on, on that little bit that we know, um, what would be your thoughts? What would be, how can you help this person help this lady? What kind of things should they look for, ask? What, yeah, what can they do? Good question. Will you, uh, will you throw it back up there on the screen just so I can uh, Well, if I, again if I can find it this. again. Yeah. Find it. Oh, man. So no, I'll go I back and find it word for word. I thought you did. No, here it is. <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh, there it is. Cool. Um, so I will say that uh, in all fairness, if I'm going to give you a right Christ honoring answer uh, in this particular situation, it's not going to give me the answer you want. Um, only because I don't know this woman. I don't know her profession. I don't know what she, her doctor or you uh, mean by paranoid delusion and whether or not it matches up with what I know about paranoid delusion. Um, I don't know the type of psychiatric care she's getting. I don't know, again, whether or not she's on medication. I don't know uh, her physical health and wellness, the, the way she eats, uh, her relationship with the Lord, the church she attends, all these things I don't know. Um, and it would be foolish for me to be too uh, too hardcore, too precise uh, with all of those lack of knowledge. I tell my kids all the time, uh, the only way we can make the best decisions is to get as much information as possible. And uh, the best application is always going to be the most specific. So um, just with that thrown out there, um, I'm just going to speak to some couple things uh, that I think we super be- uh, beneficial. Number one, um, I would get her connected with a biblical counselor. Now, when I say biblical counselor, it's not somebody who, you know, has a, a master's degree in biblical counseling or certified through ACBC or something like that. That's fantastic. But truly, uh, biblically speaking, discipleship, one anothering, uh, pastoring, parenting, biblical counseling, really all the things that we are commanded to do, Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, helping each other be built up into Christ, that is biblical counseling when we're using God's word and his word alone, and we're not letting man's ideas and philosophies and opinions and methodologies that contradict God's word to come into our counsel. So yes, she definitively needs that. She doesn't need, um, again, she doesn't need our opinion. So like sometimes some people like, you know, secular psychology isn't helpful, right? But when they're counseling their friends, they just say things like, well, I don't think secular psychology is helping you. Well, great, but let's see what God's word says. So get into the scriptures. Um, so that's definitely definitively what she needs. Um I never encourage a person to get off medication, uh, not being a doctor. Uh, I don't want to get a lawsuit. And I also don't want to do something that could potentially hurt them. Uh, lots of medication is such that they need to, if they're going to come off it, they have to come off of it the right way. Um, but I will say that knowing if they're on medication or not is going to have a really huge impact on how I'm going to counsel them. Uh, sometimes even what they're capable of understanding, depending on uh, the meds that they're on. But um, in every situation, your sin issues, my sin issues, I'm not saying that 
this woman in particular is, is obviously she's a sinner, but I'm not saying that what she's experiencing is a result of her sin. I'm just saying that all of us, all of the time, what we need is a clear picture of two things. Number one, we need to see God for who he is. And number two, we need to see ourselves for who we are. When we have that, when we have this infinite picture of who God is and we see a realistic view of who we are, uh, that negative space, which of course is an infinite height, but that negative space really is the direction we need for our lives. As a, as a Christian, I'm being conformed to the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. Uh, the distance between God's perfection and my sinfulness is the, are the areas in which I need to grow. And so regardless of the, the struggle, regardless of whether I'm dealing with an addict or somebody who, who believes they have a mental disorder or somebody who's uh, trying to uh, reconcile a relationship with a loved one or parenting issues, regardless of what it is, we are going to find our answers in understanding who God is and who we are. If she truly, uh, I mean, we talk about paranoid. Uh, paranoid has to do with being very suspicious. It has a lot to do with anxiety, uh, fear. Uh, a lot of times I don't want to say it's fear, but it really is. It's fear that something might be going on that I don't know. Um, there's oftentimes uh, a, a nice thread of, of control freakiness. That's a really, uh, it's a really technical term. I should probably have to define it for you. But <laughs> you know, uh, when we're very controlling, right? Uh, it's very easy to become paranoid when things seem outside out of our control and there are things going on that we don't know all of these things um and again i i'm not i'm not saying that anybody who experiences something called paranoid delusions it's a direct result of sin uh, i just know that a lot of people who do sin threads its way through it just like it threads its way through every other area of our life uh so starting there is desperately important but of course i always want to say that regardless of who i'm i'm working with um I always do want to give a good care and consideration to the person's physical health. And I'm just going to throw this out there for all of us. Okay. This is the example that I use. You take a healthy little five-year-old and you put them on a playground. They could play for hours and have all the fun in the world. You take that same five-year-old, but now they're sick or they haven't gotten their nap <laughs> or you put a 20 pound backpack on their backs. And you know what? Their experience in the playground is going to be very different and uh, that happens to all of us, the physical stressors of life, um, not getting enough sleep, not staying hydrated, not eating correctly, okay? The ways that we abuse our bodies, um, and we're not following 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether we're eating or drinking or whatsoever we're doing, doing all the glory of God, those are pressures and stressors in our lives. And so my counselees, I know they come to me with physical broken bodies, and I desperately want to see uh, how they're feeling, how they're doing. Are they healthy? Are, do they have good diets? Are they sleeping well? Are they just like, they can very little slip and sleep and staying awake on coffee all the time. All of that's going to help me to get a, a really holistic picture of who they are as a person and what they're struggling with, what their stressors are. Because sometimes for that little kid with the back, uh, with the backpack, you take that backpack off, they'll have a lot more fun on the playground. Um, that kid who's sick shouldn't be on the playground. We need to put him in bed and help him get better so that he can go out into the playground. And oftentimes that's part of the counseling too. So what does your friend need? Your friend needs God's word, encouragement from the scriptures. Uh, they need uh, they need prayer. Um, and then I would really, I would get them connected with somebody like me, preferably somebody who knows your friend, who uh, who lives and does, can, does community with them, um, preferably from their church, a mature believer who can help walk 
arm in arm. Maybe you're the person to do this for your friend. Um, and if you wanted to reach out to me uh, specifically uh, to give me more more information, just one-on-one to get more information for how you can potentially help your friend, definitely reach out. You can go to evermindministries.com. You can go to faithtreebiblicalcounseling.com. Um, lots of great ways to reach out to me if you have any more questions. Okay, so thank you for that. I'll, I'll throw some, some things that <clears throat> could also be, other because everyone jumps to medication. Um, there's actually a lot of interesting research being done in heat therapy and cold therapy when it comes to anxiety and things like that. I don't know what Aaron's thoughts are. But uh, I was just smiling because I had a feeling you're going to bring something like this up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it, it is something I've I have found a lot of research, especially with sauna therapy, which is something that I do. Uh, the heat therapy, I, I prefer that over the cold plunges, though I I do those as well. Much more prefer the heat, but I can tell you that it there is a lot to show that the you know being in um, the right heat, and you got to do it. With, whether you're doing the extreme of the heat or the cold, you got to be, you know, talk to a doctor. You got to make sure you do it right. You don't just jump right into 175 degree uh, sauna and sit there for 20 minutes. You got to build up to that. You know, uh, you could you could start with 120 degrees and stay in there for 20 minutes and build up to where you could stay longer and raise the heat, things like that. But I mean, sauna therapy will reduce the. The, some anxiety that they say if, if done properly up to like 60%. Um, so there, there are other things that could be done as well. So yeah, it depends on the, really the reason for it. Correct. I, I, an example I use a lot is I once uh, experienced what would be considered a, uh, an anxiety attack, but that was specifically related to a fungal infection that I had. So, um, but not everybody's anxiety attacks are tied to their fungal infections. And that's one thing I will say about the medical community. We really need to watch out for if you're a doctor, uh, don't be offended. Um, but the medical community, uh, there aren't a lot of specialists and even the specialists themselves still see things kind of black and white. You have this, we have this medicine, boom, here you go. Uh, but a person can experience what we might call an anxiety attack for so many reasons. Some people have anxiety attacks. Listen carefully what I'm about to say, simply because they're sinning. They're not trusting the Lord. They're like Paul staring at the wave coming after and they've taken their eyes off of Christ and they're freaking out. Well, yeah, that happens. Some people have anxiety attacks, though, because of nothing more than a fungal infection. There is no sin involved. So um, doctors are just too, you go to a doctor, you say you're feeling depressed. I mean, most of them will just slap medication at you. They're not going to ask you uh, about your diet. They're not going to ask you about your prayer life. They're not going to ask you about any of that. Um, and we need to be super careful because we are complex human beings and we can experience uh, a, a whole different pathology of, of symptoms for lots of different reasons. Yeah. So Melissa says here, uh, A.W., I think she meant A.M. <laughs> uh, A.M. Brewster. Yeah, the W. it's an upside down W. Upside down M, I mean. Uh, she says, great counsel, brother. Um, Thank you, Melissa. So, and, and one... Eternal Perspective says, thank you. The elder's wife has been helping her for three, four years. She's extremely needy, and I'm new on the scene, but I've tried to support her for over a year. So uh, we're glad that that yeah, is helpful. Know. I don't know what she means by needy. Um, whether actually in a, in a physical, like, like, like she doesn't have a lot of money sense, uh, or needy, like, like emotionally, needy it to, could be that too. Yeah, yeah. Emotionally needy. Yeah, it's, it's hard to know for sure. Um, but I will say that, uh, that's not surprising to hear I, either of those are true. Um, oftentimes people, 
who don't have a lot of physical means um, are looking for help in any way that they can will oftentimes turn to sometimes the worst help uh, because it's all they can get. You know, like it's people ask me all the time, you know, is my biblical counseling, do I accept insurance? Well, insurance wouldn't cover me because I've not been licensed through the state. And yeah. so sometimes it's cheaper to go through the secular route because you don't have to pay for it. Um, and then also two people who might be, you know, described as emotionally needy and so on and so forth. Sometimes that's actually part of the larger problem. Uh, they're having all these struggles over here for the same reasons that they they struggle with this this. However, we're defining neediness. So yeah, um, uh, be lover, but go to the scriptures. Go to the scriptures. Uh, see what she thinks about God. See what she understands about herself. Find out those areas in her life where she's paranoid. Uh, find out in those areas in her life where she's she's having some sort of delusion, um, and try to help her to focus on that which is true. Speaking the truth in love, um, teaching her how to think. Uh, as Philippians chapter four tells us, think things that are true, um, and then see if that can be an encouragement to her. Okay. Now this is the part of the program where we're going to try to hit. A lot of questions, a little bit rapid fire. We got 30 minutes left and we still have a bunch of questions. Um, oh boy, here goes. Yeah, here we go. So, yes, yes no, no, yes. <laughs> so, by the way, I'm just looking because it, one eternal perspective gave a little bit more and just said, I thought of biblical counseling, but I don't know any in the area. She has no, no one in family who, who seems to care. She's extremely low income, no transportation, et cetera. So you could go to, uh, you could find ACBC biblical, counselors. So yeah, why don't you give the website? Biblicalcounseling dot. Um, oh wow, I always forget if it's dot com or dot org. Um, they have a, if you go to biblical counseling, I'm putting it in as I talk. Um, they have a great uh, world map where you can see where all of their um, their counselors are. Uh, the nice thing about the it's not dot com. Um, Oh, I also would have helped if I had spelled it correctly. Sorry about that. I'm trying to do it so quickly. Um, the nice thing is to, oh, it is biblicalcounseling.com. There we go. Um, is that with the technology that we have, most of the counseling that I do is actually virtual. So um, connecting with uh, an ACBC certified counselor uh, virtually is generally a pretty easy thing to do. So that's biblicalcounseling.com. So you can find someone in your area. So let's, uh, some of these will be really quick, but uh, KT is saying it, is Andrew going to ShepCon? No, I'm not going this year. Uh, I was talking to brother Kevin Hay about it. He asked if I was going. And I said that, you know, after the last two years of Shepherd's Conference, my, my bride thought maybe I shouldn't go. Uh, two years ago, walking into Shepherd's Conference, I found out that my mother passed away. And then last year, I ended up in the ER with blood pressure issues. So at the time that the, that the conference was open for, uh, for tickets, uh, I still hadn't really gotten the health issues that I've been struggling with under control. So we decided to pass this year and not make a trip across the, the country um, for that. So uh, Dee said this earlier when we were talking about definitions. She says it's important to clarify and ask for definition. Quote, what did you mean by blank? Unquote. And this is what regular viewers here see me do every time, right? When we get someone comes in, black Hebrew Israelite, an Orthodox rabbi, whoever, what am I always doing? I'm saying, well, what did you mean by that? What does that mean? How do you understand? It frustrated the one guy that came in wanting to argue for gay Christianity because he had eight pages of notes that he said he never was able to get to. Why didn't he get to it? Because Aaron and I both kept just asking for clarification. 
and that clarification destroyed his argument and they didn't like that because he wanted to have a he wanted to use words multiple ways to because it was essential for the argument and sometimes all you need to do is to ask questions maybe that's why jason cave says judaism produces excellent debaters well they do because in in judaism debating is kind of a family activity there's no emotion to it it's something we do around the table um it's just it's good fun it's it sharpens your thinking it's it's not the way people think of it today but we are taught to think opposite to what we hold to and know how to argue that okay Um, Voltaire is not somebody that we normally Christians want to uh, quote, but he's the guy who basically said, if you wish to converse with me, define your terms. And uh, if he understood that, we Christians really need to understand that because our vocabularies, especially in America, are being absolutely hijacked and they don't mean what God means when he talks about these things. So with a whole lot of things. Yes. Yeah. I did not grow up in a Jewish household, but my family did the same. We love debating. Well, maybe, I think this next one we we will give for you um, instead of me, but it says, okay, I want to hear, quote, hero Israel, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh is one, unquote, in Hebrew. Can Andrew do it? I'm sorry, can Aaron do it? That. No, no, it says Andrew. <laughs> it says, and I see it right there. You so, put it on the screen. KT, the question is, do you want me to say it as if I'm reading the scriptures or say it the way we would do it in a worship service? Well, we'll do both. Oh, that's a difference. Uh, there is a difference, because if you just read the scriptures, it would be Shema Yisrael, Adonai Echenu, Adonai Echad. But that's not how we would do it in a worship service, because you would sing it. So mm-hmm. the singing of it would be Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. So yes, I can do that still. Wow! Wow! Fantastic. Um, we got a question. That you actually didn't say the word that we translate Yahweh, though. Correct, because Jewish yeah, people would not do that. Right? Yeah. So so let's yep. Yep. so Baruch Atah. Adonai mm-hmm. would be blessed be oh, Adonai, not Elohim. Yeah, yeah. Adonai. I, so, and this is a common prayer. Brachat Adonai. The word for Adonai would be what we say Yahweh, Jehovah. How you know we don't have the, the we don't have the vowels for it because a Jewish person would never say that word that we call Jehovah or Yahweh. And so we don't know what the vowels were because the vowels were never written. And a Jewish person doesn't want to break the commandment to not use the Lord's name in vain. So Shema Yisrael is hero Israel. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elchenu. So Adonai is the word for Yahweh. And it's it's supplemented there. Substitute, yeah. Substituted. Uh, So Christ brings a sword, asks the question, what does it mean, quote, at the last Trump, unquote? Well, that's that's the last oh, time Donald you can Trump vote for Donald Trump. Me. Yeah. <laughs> you do. You at the same place. We both did it. We, <laughs> so terrible. Oh, that's so bad. <laughs> oh, it makes me feel dirty just to say that. Um, yeah, there, there's some differing views with what this is going to be. Uh, but the last Trump depends on, on your views of end times. Uh, if you're an amillennialist, the last Trump is going to be just that, that last, but the Christ's second coming, 
the end of the age. Um, in a dispensational view, I think that there's a view of the the Trump. Some might refer to the, the the rapture. I think is referred to as a Trump, and so the last Trump again would be is when you know I, I don't I don't. Then this is where I just don't study end times enough to have all the the kind of nitpicky things. But I think in dispensationalism, the last Trump, and maybe you know Aaron, would be either the 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 coming of Christ for the uh, thousand year kingdom, or whether it's at the end of that for final judgment. I'm not sure within dispensationalism which one they would hold it to. I'd have to see the passage yeah. where it's used, honestly, to be able. But, but I'm I'm. It was funny in our conversations during this. Uh, uh, this conference, a lot of the covenant guys uh, were talking about how their view of dispensationalists are the guys who are always like, oh, we're in the end times and here's the signs and here's the signs and this thing means this and that thing means that. And uh, what's funny is that most of the dispensationalists w- that I associate with don't do that. So, you know, we love our eschatology for sure, uh, but we definitely, at least my flavor of dispensationalism does not spend nearly as much time trying to figure it all out in human terms the way that other people do. You know, that's actually the interesting thing is dispensationalists are known for their premillennialism and it, as if that's the only thing we talk about. And yet I very rarely talk end times unless I'm at a conference like open theology where, where they want to debate that all all the time that that comes up like all the time. So, um, yeah. So Melissa asked this, isn't it more accurate to say Yahweh, even though we don't know how to pronounce it? Well, when you talk about accuracy and yet we don't know how to pronounce it, right? So if we think through that, how could it be more accurate if we don't know how to, because the, argument for accuracy there is about pronunciation whether to say jehovah or to say yahweh the reality is we don't know what's right we we just can't two consonants in my name there's an r and an n given just an r and an n how do you pronounce this he'd be like, "Eh, I have no clue. I mean, any vowels could be put in there. The reason that the big switch away from Jehovah though, uh, came about, uh, just because the accurate observation was made that as far as we know, that particular, that particular letter in Hebrew and Andrew can speak to this better than I can. uh, It's not going to be pronounced with a, with an American hard J. So the Jehovah was kind of dismissed for that purpose. And, and so what you have there is the consonants for what we say Yahweh with the vowels that we have for Adonai and or mm-hmm. Elohim. I Elohim, forget which, yeah. yeah. So, which is, the, so those are the three names for God. Okay, Elohim, Adonai, and Yahweh. So you have Elohim, which is, by the way, a plural. It's El would be the singular, and Elohim is plural. And so that is a term that means God. <clears throat> uh, Adonai means Lord. So, um, and then you have Jehovah, which is that covenant keeping God. So I hope that that is helpful. Uh, one last one uh, that I, I think Aaron would be the expert on. Or, or maybe not, maybe not. Uh, Brother John says, question, do angels have feathers? Bill Johnson at Bethel Church is claiming feathers are falling from the church in his home uh, and uh, in in restraints. In re- yeah, in restaurants. Uh, Justin Peters just did a video on this. And I did see the video. 
So let, let me just be really clear. This is the, the same group who claims that there's gold dust coming from the, the sky during their worship services. And, and Justin Peters actually met the woman who came out of the, the, that whole NAR organization. And her and her husband's job was to put the gold dust in the air ducts and then turn on the fans at the right time. And yet the, she actually, so her husband's still in that movement. She came out, got saved. And now as a believer recognizes how silly it was that they actually believed it was real gold dust when they're putting it in the air ducts and turning the fan on themselves. You'd think of all the people that would know it's a farce, they would be the ones, but her husband, I guess, still is, if, if he's still involved, is still doing that. So, um, so yeah. And so, okay, so D, D says, I grew up going to synagogue with my Jewish best friend. Andrew is no cantor. Now, D, most people don't know what a cantor is, but in the in the in a synagogue service, you have the the rabbi who is going to expound the scriptures. You have the cantor who's going to do all the singing and, and leading of the 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 service through song and and whatnot. Uh, so that's the what the cantor is. And I never said that I could sing. I just <laughs> did it. I'm just telling you how it would sound. So others can make it sound better. So. Uh, with that, uh, so yeah, so I don't think there's gold feathers. I, I don't think there's, you know, there's the argument that angels have feathers. Okay, but they're not falling down in Bill Johnson's service uh, and his, you know, where, in his house and his restaurant because, quite frankly, Bill Johnson is not saved and is a heretic because of the fact that he teaches doctrines that are, you know, anti-biblical. Uh, he the, the teaches things that that you know where man is sovereign and God is, is almost submissive to him that that the little God doctrines things like this uh, he believes that that men should be uh, basically healthy wealthy and wise uh, so that you understand Bill Johnson had a young lady that was working for him she got cancer she it was a it was a treatable cancer she could have been a hundred percent cancer free uh young child newly married bill johnson told her that she lacked faith she stopped going to the doctors she came to pennsylvania to die she her, to move in with her parents so that they could take care of her while she died what did bill johnson do when his wife was was near death took her to hospice care so this is a guy that doesn't practice what he believes. So, um, okay. So Melissa is saying, "Do my does my pillow and Lagos still sponsor?" Yes, they do. I just do, will choose not to do um, like lots of you know. I had I, I listened to a secular podcast called The Verdict. It's with Tom, Ted Cruz. Loved it when they first came out. Now it's like so much commercials that it's quite annoying. So I don't want this show to be that. So we're going to pick and choose different. We're sponsored, but they, they're not sponsoring every show. And uh, we have a new sponsor. So they, they were on this one. So um, let's see. A question that just came in. I kept hearing this from KT. I kept hearing people in Israel who wanted the hostage 
hostages rescued. Um, Well, she's asking, there's a Hebrew word, and it says, I wonder if Andrew could read that. Uh, They used another word I can't figure out. I don't know. Uh, my Hebrew is not so good that I can sp- read it anymore, but uh, I don't know what that word would be. So I'm sorry, KT. Uh, so this is this is the question. So John is asking: Do 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 I guess do you believe angels have feathers? Um, they have wings. That we know. Some angels have wings. Do they have feathers? I, I can't think of a passage that... Well, here's the interesting things. I, I've been searching it, okay? Uh, the word feather doesn't show up in the scriptures. The word feathers does. Uh, as far as I can tell, I've only found it in one passage. And if, if my Bible search is like failing me, let me know. Uh, Daniel 4.33, referring to Nebuchadnezzar, how his hair grew as long uh. as eagle's feathers. But the reality is, is that the word feathers actually isn't there in the Hebrew. Um, it's uh, that the, it's just, it was it been added. The word eagle is there. Uh, his hair grew long as eagle, basically, is, is, a, is, is a quasi-accurate rendering. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, it's, I never would have thought <laughs> so, you know, like really the word feather is nowhere in the Bible. Are you kidding me? Um, but yeah, Andrew's right. They were told that the, that they had wings. Okay. Um, we're not told if they had bat wings, if they had bird wings, we're not, if they, if they have something that approximates his wings, um, but doesn't look anything like an animal that we know that has wings. We just don't know. Okay. Like penguin wings. So, so you, you got me curious. So I did some digging. So <clears throat> you brought up the Daniel four thirty three dealing with Nebuchadnezzar, but it also appears in, at least in the New American Standard, the word is in Leviticus one sixteen. He shall he shall also take away its crop with its feathers and cast besides the altar uh, Wait, eastward. This is Leviticus one sixteen. And so here there is, this is uh, the priest bringing, bringing an uh, an offering to the altar. It's going to drain out the blood. So this is obviously a bird that's being offered, and he shall. Said, now that's in the King James, right? No, this is New American Standard. Oh, New American so Standard. So okay. I looked up the word because I was curious, and I said, "Okay, what oh, is what is the Hebrew for them?" So in those two different passages, we get two different Hebrew words. So the the one for ne- that we see in with Nebuchadnezzar. Um, that is is there is the only usage of that w- where we see that one, okay? Um, yeah. And the issue there is if you look in a New American Standard, King James, some of these others, that word is added. In other words, it's not mm-hmm. there in the Hebrew. It just says, uh, you know, with the dew from heaven until the hair has grown like eagles, and the nails like birds. Well, eagles what and birds what? And so when you mm-hmm. see the words in italics there in a literal translation, it means birds' feathers was added. Uh, the birds' claws were added. The word claws was added. So what we end up seeing, though, is that there in Leviticus, there is the word feathers. It is used three times. Um, uh, three? I thought, I thought I saw four. S- well, I, I'm seeing three. This is the the Hebrew word. 
Let's see. Yes, in no, Leviticus no 116, sauce. Job 39, 13, Ezekiel okay. 17, 3, and Ezekiel 17, 7. So I got, yeah, the, the two Ezekiels in Leviticus. I had, so Ezekiel 17, 7, uh, 17, 3, 17, 7, and then uh, Leviticus 116. I don't have the Job one. So Interesting. What, what is, let's see, Job is, what was Job it? Job 39, 13 uh, in 30, the LSB. Nine. Is the ostrich's wings flap joyously, but they, uh, but are they the pinion and the plumage of a stork? And that's how I'm seeing it in the LSB. All those uh, instead of plumage, feathers, it's always interpreted plumage. Yes, and so the let's see if this what word this one is because the so pl- this this word is the word plumage here is a different Hebrew word. Mm-hmm. It looks like. It, and it's the word for plumage or, or falcon, where the other is translated as plumage, such as feathers. And so, but none of them are referring to angels. So, just doing as exhaustive of a, of a search as we can, it, it doesn't seem like there's anything here that would support that uh, angels have feathers. We know that angels have wings, and it's assumed they have feathers, but... Um, that's also descriptive. It doesn't mean that this is the way they all are. Yeah, somebody uh, did a number of um, art pieces where they basically took uh, descriptions of angels from the scriptures and tried to basically illustrate them as literally as possible, you know, with the eyes and the wings and the heads and the everything. And they were, they were just, they defied understanding, right? Um, and we have to, we have to recognize the fact that likely these angelic creatures uh, do not look human yes they they looked human when they came as messengers uh to speak with lot and so on and so forth um but for the most part when they're in their angelic glory they oftentimes they hardly ever described as looking very human yeah. uh, every now and then they, one might have a face of a man or something like that but yeah they likely we have no conception of them correct so uh, that is, you know, this is that's uh, we have for today answering the questions you guys provided. Thanks for those who came in. Um, just to give you guys a heads up where you can find Aaron and I will be if you are in upper state New York by Watertown area. Uh, we will be yeah way up north. Uh, Aaron and I will be speaking at the River of Life Church on April 12th to the 14th. So that is. Um, that is up in cold, cold New York. I, I, I've been to Watertown, New York, Fort Drum, and it was cold. I've uh, been there. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll be there. So April 12th to the 14th. And then April 22nd to May 9th, I will be in uh, the Philippines speaking. So this, this is a real funny story, Aaron. I happened to call Amazon because we shipped our books out to the Philippines so that they're there. And almost all of them went. We shipped 600 books and all but three got there. And so I called up and the, the, the person I'm talking to, Lady Jenny is her name. You, you could pray for her. Uh, I said that, uh, well, these, she said, well, you, I see you had an order of 25. Is that, you know, the same order? I said, no, that... The, the order of 600, they went to the Philippines. She goes, they came here to the Philippines? I said, are you in the Philippines? She said, yes. I said, well, you know, I'm going to be speaking. So she asked what I was speaking about. She asked what my book was about. Uh, I then told her it was a 
Christian conference. She claims she's a Christian. And so I, I explained to her that we will be speaking, and I should get this down for any of the, my Filipino friends listening. We will be in uh, the, the Manila conference on April 27th is sold out. Uh, I think the, the, the event that they have is 900 people capacity. I, and I think they're trying to get a little bit more in. There's a wait list for that. The pre-conference is still open. The pre-conference, we're going to deal with issues of social justice, um, all the woke stuff. The con- So that's, that's going to be April 26th, the Friday, uh, from 8.30 to 3.30. And you could go to, just on Facebook, if you're on Facebook, go to um, facebook.com slash needgodphilippines. You could go to needgod.ph to get the details uh, from uh, Need God Philippines, and they can get you all the details <clears throat> and where it is. So the con- the conference, which is sold out in Manila, is April 27th. That's a Saturday. Uh, both uh, Justin Peters, Pastor Jim Osmond, and myself will be speaking at different churches on s- April 28th. I'm not sure of those churches, so contact the, the folks there in the Philippines. Then we fly to Palawan. We'll be at Palawan from April 29th to uh, May 2nd. Then we fly back to Manila, where we will be doing a church camp on May 3rd to the 5th. And then we will fly from Manila to Bahal. And we'll do the same Strange Fire conference that we're doing in Manila, dealing with the charismatic movement and things like this on May 7th in Bahal. So we're going to be on three different islands uh, doing uh, a lot of different ministry. And so I, I saw a comment. Someone asked how they could pray for us specifically. KT asked, uh, how can we pray specifically? Well, I'll tell you how you could pray specifically. Uh, it really would be the, the thing that I do. we do need prayer is support. Um, this trip to the Philippines, I've, I've said this before on here, uh, there it is taking up all of a lot of the funds that we have for these ministry trips. As many of you know, we, we go places regardless whether they pay us or not, we're going to go. Um, and so this is a big trip. Uh, we, we're going to, we had to lay out about $2,400, in expenses for the Philippines trip. And that's not our only expensive trip this year. Uh, so we could really use support for the Philippines so we could get there and do all that ministry that we just talked about. Um, but we also have another trip coming up. And past, and both Aaron and I will be at... Uh, yeah, you, you were muted. Vail, Vail Valley Baptist Church, August 8th to 11th. And there's three of us flying out for that. So that's another expensive one for a church that already told us they probably won't have any funds to pay us. And we're organizing, helping them organize a conference there. So it's Vail Valley, Arizona. And that's August 8th to the 11th. About this real quick before you wrap up, Andrew, because so I am associated with striving for attorney as Andrew has been very gracious to invite me to come and be uh, one of the the speakers for the ministry. I'm honored to do so. I want to do the ministry proud, but most importantly, to be a good servant of God. Um, but my ministry, um, I travel and speak. I have an opportunity to speak at the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors in Fort Worth, Texas this year. Um, 
but I am limited. My, my ministry is very, very small and uh, I can't go places where they're not going to help with transportation, stuff like that, because the money's just not there. Uh, what I love about Andrew and his heart and striving for eternity is that they are going to go if they're invited. And, uh, and, and striving for fraternity is going to foot the bill. And, and, and so what he, I'm just saying, as a guy who's involved, but also on the outside, I'm thanking the Lord for what Andrew's doing and uh, encouraging you guys to participate if you can, if God has blessed you and you can give uh, to striving for eternity so that uh, he, I, and other guys uh, can go to these churches that can't afford to bring people in and minister to them, please do. Um, man, oh man, you I can't believe what a blessing it is for some of these churches to have somebody uh, the caliber of Andrew and uh, to, to come in and to, to preach, um, whether it's one service or multiple. Thank, thank you for that. So with that, uh, next week, let me tell you what we got on the docket for next week. We are going to be talking with Dan Biddle of uh, Genesis Apologetics with a new film coming out, the Noah film. It was filmed over at the Ark Encounter. This is going to be, I, I saw some of it, uh, very interesting. Um, we're going to get into lots of discussion. I talked with Dan, and I think it's going to be a very lively, very interesting talk. So if you have friends who are believing in evolution, even if they claim to be Christian, uh, next week will be one you want to have them make sure they tune into. Um, and so... Uh, Melissa says, uh, Andrew is such a blessing. Thank you. I don't know if I deserve that, but I do appreciate it. Um, I'll, I'll agree with Melissa on that one. Yeah. And this is from Jason, who is a supporter, uh, you know, through YouTube. He says, God bless your faith, your faithful brothers, uh, continue to fight the good fight of faith. We will try. Um, but it is God who sustains us for that. So, uh, so next week, bring your, your evolutionist friends, have them join us. It would be great. And until then, just remember to strive to make today an eternal day for the glory of God. And we will see you next time. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.